I'm Dr. Nathaniel Chin, and you're listening to Dementia Matters, a podcast about Alzheimer's disease. Dementia Matters is a production of the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. Our goal is to educate listeners on the latest news in Alzheimer's disease research and caregiver strategies. Thanks for joining us. On today's episode of Dementia Matters, we're going to discuss Alzheimer's disease in the Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders community. Vince Tian is CEO and co-founder of 360 Health, a multi-specialty medical group focused on telehealth services. 360 Health has been conducting COVID-19 testing and vaccinations in Orange County, California throughout the pandemic. Also with us is Dr. Dung Trin, Chief Medical Officer at 360 Health and also Chief Medical Officer at Irvine Clinical Research, an independent medical research clinic in Irvine, California. Vince, Dr. Trin are both members of the Alzheimer's Orange County Board of Directors. Thank you both for joining me on Dementia Matters. Thanks for having us here, uh, Nathaniel. Vince, I want to start out asking you about your background in healthcare and how you got involved in Alzheimer's disease and dementia communities. Yes, my background in uh, healthcare has been in the post-acute space since 2007. Uh, we have a family-owned home health and hospice and house call in the Westminster area of Orange County, serving our underserved community uh, and, and minorities here, especially in the AAPI community. We serve over, I believe, you know, 50,000 patients now in the home health and hospice space, house calls well. And um, uh, 360 Clinic was really born from out of the pandemic uh, last year in April, where we had to figure a way to keep our nurses employed, right? At that time during the COVID, not a lot of patients wanted to, uh, our nurses to come into their home, fearing that gain COVID. So uh, we had a doctor friend in Arizona that was doing COVID testing for no cost. Uh, we brought that over to Orange County and we did the first event at a church in, right here in local in Garden Grove, 300 t- tests, drive through First time ever doing that kind of drive through model, but uh, very exciting at that time to be able to con- uh, contribute and help back, uh, give back to the community. And let me, let, yeah, thank you for saying this because it's 360 Clinic, not 360 Health. So I, I apologize for that in the beginning. It, very I mean, important work that you guys are doing, very novel at the time, too. I mean, I, yeah. you know, as we've gone through this pandemic, the idea of a drive-through clinic doesn't seem as, as scary as it used to or as different. But now, but back when you were starting this, really, it had never happened before. Never happened. Basically, um, what our model was different from any other testing outfit was that we have actual clinicians on site where like if you have questions about your symptoms, you can get them answered by our clinician. Uh, whereas other testing places where you just give your sample and, and, and that's it, you know. So here we, our team really help a lot of patients. Some patients were really like almost uh, had to be admitted to the hospital. And a lot of our clinician actually suggested them to go to the hospital right away based on their condition at that time. So you guys are really busy, it sounds like, not just a, a quick test. Right. Um, <laughs> we also have the telehealth uh, for following up with positive patients as well. So we, we alleviate their symptoms at home rather than the necessary having to go to the emergency room or any other uh, stressing out the beds in, in the hospital back then. Yeah. So Dr. Tren, you've been practicing medicine in Orange County for 20 years and much of that time in academic medicine, but more recently you focused your career on medical missions work, clinical research, and several medical groups. What is your experience in caring for Alzheimer's and dementia patients? 
Definitely. I, I wear multiple hats in the community. My love is really patient education, talking about prevention and um, strategies for risk reduction of Alzheimer's in the community itself. So I uh, have witnessed uh, over the years uh, as an internist, the uh, just pretty much an epidemic of Alzheimer's that we are seeing, a condition without a cure. And uh, practicing in Orange County, where uh, many seniors are retired in the location, we've seen a significant number uh, that have come to us on a daily basis asking for help with uh, memory. What I've also noticed is with this pandemic, and especially with the uh, almost 400,000 COVID tests that we've done through 360 Clinic, we've witnessed uh, an association between COVID uh, affecting those with dementia at a higher rate and, uh, and those with dementia who catch COVID have uh, worse outcomes is what we have noticed and, uh, and it's brought that to our attention. It's clear that you have a lot of experience in the field in that your response to me was, what are you doing? Well, patient education, family education, and then this idea of risk reduction and prevention, which is exactly what this podcast addresses. Certainly, we all hope for meaningful treatments and management, but obviously, those are two really important things, not only for individuals, but for communities, which is exactly what you guys are, are doing with 360 Clinic. Now, Dementia Matters did a little bit of research on your location in Orange County. And so what we found was that there's more than 3 million residents in Orange County, California, and that Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders make up approximately 22% of that population. According to the Alzheimer's Orange County's website, over 84,000 people in Orange County live with Alzheimer's disease. So I have a two-part question that I'd like each of you to, to answer. What are the health-related needs of the Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders communities? And two, when it comes to dementia or Alzheimer's disease, what are the perceptions and needs from these communities specifically? Dr. Trin? <laughs> sure. I think specifically the gaps that we see in the uh, Asian American uh, minority in Orange County is a gap of trust in the system, in the typical system. Let's say, you know, an older Vietnamese patient in their 70s or 80s wouldn't necessarily go to a Kaiser uh, because they, for example, don't even know how to log in, right? into their system or to, to access the uh, technology required to be able to, um, to access healthcare. The other issue is a language barrier. And the lack of uh, trust really is due to a language barrier. When your primary language is Vietnamese and your doctor speaks only English, that has resulted in, in Vietnamese patients either seeing only Vietnamese doctors which, you know, who speak English or, or not seeing a doctor at all, just asking their, their neighbors, their family, and, and trying to take care of what they can at home, uh, which leads to gaps in healthcare, lack of preventive health, uh, lack of colonoscopies and mammograms and things of that sort is a, a big concern. And then when it comes specifically to things like cognition or thinking ability and dementia and Alzheimer's disease, is there a certain perception or thought to the Asian American community. I'm looking at you, Dr. Trin, because I'm going to move to uh, Vince afterwards. 100%. Yes, 100%. I'm not sure the word Alzheimer's even exists in Vietnam. It's uh, We 
And in many, you know, third world country, it's just an assumption. You get older, you know, you're losing your memory. It's normal. And uh, the unfortunate thing is that it's not normal. Uh, we know that the loss of cognition is contributed by, you know, the Alzheimer's plaque, by uh, all the factors that lead to um, beta amyloid production, uh, which includes, you know, circulation problems, inflammation problems, toxins, uh, all these multiple factors that contribute to that. So a huge gap is uh, bringing awareness of the fact that memory loss is not normal. Memory loss should be addressed. And that includes, you know, cognitive testing, you know, whether it's the MMSE tests or any type of cognitive testing by, uh, by a physician. And that thirdly, we can do something about it with lifestyle changes, nutrition, diet, things of that sort. So Vince, you're free to answer either of those two questions. It's a bit easier for you because Dr. Trin took the first stab at it. I am going to make it a bit harder for you because here Dr. Trin is saying, well, technology is an issue, right? And, and being able to have people comfortable accessing healthcare via um, an online system. But here you are, Vince, part of a telehealth organization, right? And really thriving and promoting telemedicine. How do you, how do you find common ground there? Yeah, I, I think for us um, with the telehealth, as the COVID really is the catalyst for telehealth, as we know, right? And so a lot of seniors now that even Dr. Chen is experiencing that they're going through, they're readily available to get on a Zoom now to do, to to watch what health talks and to do this and that, that before last year or two years ago, they not a lot of seniors know that, right? So I think like because of this, I mean, I, I tend to look things at like a glass half full, right? So even though like we have such a pandemic and a lot of people pass away and stuff, but I think I, I like to see it positive that we're preparing the seniors and people that are coming in after like even my parents are in their 60s. Now they're very easy to use FaceTime or Zoom like that. And just getting that education and that trust out that looked at like if you cannot come to the doctor or if you cannot come uh, to get the, a, a diagnosis, the doctor can still visit you in the home or through the, um, the device of technology that we have today. So I think uh, and, and also the other things that Dr. Trin mentioned, like language barrier, cultural there's stigma and stuff like that. Recently, I'm so uh, driven to join the Alzheimer OC is that my, my dad has been recently diagnosed with FTD, so front, uh, frontal temporal dementia. And, and I've kind, kind of been in denial about it until I took him to the doctor's office finally. <laughs> and then, you know, the doctor asked him, you know, write the, the clock time and what does 1020 look like or what does 1130 look like. And for him to have time, like, you know, a difficult time like that finally hit me. And then so that's why I really want to acknowledge that, again, like in our culture, we don't even have a word for dementia or Alzheimer. You know, you always say a senior that's losing, that's forgetting something. Oh, they're getting old or this and that. But, you know, my dad's even barely uh, 65. <laughs> he's, he's just getting the, his Medicare benefits now and it's, he's too young for that, right? But still, FTD hits you like even at younger age, uh, earlier than uh, other Alzheimer and dementia. So, uh, and, and, and really is to support that, you know, the reason that we're doing all these podcasts and coming on all these shows is that hopefully that someone that in the policy uh, decision maker can see this and, and maybe uh, pass some kind of bill to help the caregivers and the family that's in need and that's supporting this. Because for the patient, it's, it's hard to 
see how much th their family is going through because most of the time they're not there. But, you know, for my mom, I see her all the time. And, and you know, sometimes that she just needs a little help, even a little respite care or some kind of place where maybe like as my dad's condition get worse, he can go there for during the daytime, like an adult daycare for a couple hours. And then that can provide my mom respite care, you know, during the day so she can have a little breathing a little relaxation time and not worried about my dad where he's at right now because even if i tell my mom hey you know go see a new movie or whatever it is she can't leave my dad at home so she has that you know feeling well vince thank you for sharing that personal story and and, and i think that you know that that's an important thing for our audience members to know that personal connection for you it's good to to get that information out, but you really touched on my next question, which is, I think is a really key topic within the field of Alzheimer's disease. And that one is education. Sure. You know, that's important, especially in a culture that doesn't actually have a word for dementia, but two is stigma. And you use that word very clearly and you describe that sensation of denial because of stigma. What role does stigma play in the Asian American or Vietnamese communities specifically when it comes to Alzheimer's disease? How does that affect care? How does that affect family members? I think it goes across not just only the dementia, but also other uh, medical issues that our, our community is hard to kind of open up because it's the stigma is that we don't want to be uh, looked down or frowned upon by our family or our neighbors and stuff, et cetera, and that, oh, you know, you have someone that has a medical condition like this. So it's, it makes it very hard to, for us to be open about it. And then if we cannot be open about it, there's no way that we can get help. Uh, there's no way that there's uh, enough data to, to to be gathered on people with different ethnic and, and to be studied on. So I feel like the more that it, the predecessors can talk about it, I think uh, we, it can be more open and studied and, and help people in, in, in the later future as well. I appreciate you also mentioning the importance of being in research. We, we need more Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in our Alzheimer's research, our aging research. So that is another key component other than just, not just, but other than clinical care. Right. So Dr. Exactly. Trin, for you, how do we start destigmatizing Alzheimer's disease, dementia, cognitive change within the Asian American community? I think education is probably the biggest factor to let folks know that this condition exists and that this condition is no different than heart disease, cancer, diabetes. It is a health condition that needs to be screened for on a yearly basis among those who are older. And if we do detect an issue, then, uh, then we should evaluate and do what we can to, uh, again, minimize the risk, identify what the risk factors are, to, uh, to tackle those risk factors, and uh, if possible, to either stop or, or slow down. Uh, many issues with memory loss isn't Alzheimer's, right? Oftentimes, it could be hypothyroidism or vitamin B12 deficiency or, uh, you know, medication side effects that can be contributing to memory loss. And so until that gets worked up, uh, we don't know what's reversible, what's not reversible. And so bringing that to the community, whether it's through uh, lectures, television, radio, podcast, um, and bringing it in the Vietnamese language where folks understand uh, is super important. I noticed that those who, uh, you know, our parents, um, Vietnamese is their primary language. That's all they listen to, whether it's radio, TV, it's all in Vietnamese. And unless that information is 
in those channels, you know, people don't hear about it. I'm so glad you said that too, because I'm I'm wondering as I'm listening to your responses and the need for education, the need for healthcare, the need for access, how does healthcare actually address this cultural, economical, linguistic barrier in delivering public health messages as well as care to people in the Asian American community? I'll start with you, Dr. Trin. It's not addressed very well. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> there are huge gaps. It is addressed among, you know, Vietnamese physicians maybe speaking and, and letting Vietnamese patients know. But again, there are large gaps that exist today. A lot of Vietnamese don't go out to get a pap smear or, you know, a colonoscopy or a mammogram because what we value in our, our preventive health practices today is not necessarily translated over to the Vietnamese community through those, um, through those communication channels, right? Through television or radio and things of that sort. And so it's a huge gap that we need to, um, we need to tackle. It's very doable. Uh, we need a, a really a plan. We need funding and, uh, and partnership with the local healthcare organizations uh, to do that. Now, Vince, so knowing that your role within 360 Clinic how can healthcare systems, how can organizations provide care for under-resourced and underrepresented families who are suffering from dementia-related illnesses? Maybe not even the dementia itself, but maybe this, um, the the screenings, the healthcare screenings, or even if you know within that umbrella of getting older. Yeah, I think with the health, the screenings would definitely it's a must. But then if we also can focus on the the mental health of the caregiver as well because uh, and to provide them so I, I was on another one a podcast yesterday we're thinking like maybe even tax credit or something like that to offset the the caregivers uh, you know tax liability at the end of the year just to help them small things like that um, or even like uh, somehow we can get funding for you know adult daycare to take care of a patient during the day just for four hours to give them maybe a bath, give them food, or give them some kind of education and, and training where the family doesn't have to be responsible at home and they still, in their mind, that they still know that it's taken care of for their family member. So I think just a little bit things like that can help. Even filling out post forms, having a lawyer on, attorney on site to help with the paperwork for financial, just in case, like, for example, my, my father, he can't you know, ever after a while, he cannot get into his bank account anymore, right? He can't pay the bills, all those stuff, and all the paperwork that needs to be done. I had to submit a paper to Social Security and do all the due diligence to make sure he can get, you know, disability and all that kind of stuff. I think it can help out a lot. And I, as I go through down this this path with my father and for, and for my, my mother as well, I, I'm, I'm learning a lot. And I think there's a lot that can be done for, for people in, in, in my younger generation and and hopefully it makes a big enough impact for the other seniors later down the road. And for our audience members that aren't living in California or those states that have pulsed forms, P-O-L-S-T, that's really a healthcare power of attorney or an advanced directive. And it, I, comp I mean, I'm so grateful you said that because advanced care planning is so critical for all of us, regardless of our background, knowing that we all somehow engage with the healthcare system and the state system and having mm. that in place. But you, what you're really saying is it, it isn't always just medical related. It is all these other logistical administrative steps that are so important in mm. sort of accessing care, managing care, and figuring out how we live our lives with certain conditions. 
I'm going to put you on the spot, each of you. I'm going to get, I want one answer from each of you, and this is tough, but what is needed today? What would be the one thing that you would want to help the Asian American community or any sort of disenfranchised group when it comes to Alzheimer's disease, dementia, getting older? What is something that is needed that we really should be striving for right now? And, and because I already picked on you, Dr. Trinvin, so I'm going to go to you first. What is your one thing that you would really want or that you think is the next thing that will lead to, to more, more growth? I believe that maybe even some kind of forum or some kind of uh, group where it's everyone can be able freely, especially in the AIP, uh, AAPI community, to speak out and, and kind of give your, oh, this happened to my dad. This is what I had to do. So something to like relate on. So like someone that family is maybe uh, not well off or they stay they, they can find the Facebook group or the forum and then they can read about it and instead of going everywhere and like what should I do next I think we just it takes a community to help out and and as we we, we open up and we talk about it you'll see like oh wow I didn't know my neighbor has it I didn't know my cousin's friend had it or something like that then you find some kind of like a support group and really just uh, lean on each other for for guidance and throughout this kind of path that we're on now which would also take away some of the stigma if people started talking about it more publicly and openly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, Dr. Trin, that's a tough one to follow. So what would be the thing that you would want? Yeah, I uh I absolutely agree with Vince the the need to start a dialogue with families through a uh, kind of pretty much a support uh, group type setting that is run by folks who speak Vietnamese who have been trained in dementia care. And, uh, and trained not just to address patient care, but uh, the caregiver care as well, right? Uh, and so that's probably a, a relatively low-hanging fruit that can be started if we were able to find a forum to, uh, to conduct these support groups and a way to let folks know or to market the fact that these support groups exist and that you can just come out and, and share your experiences with healthcare specialists in the field that speak Vietnamese. And through there, we can, uh, as far as next steps, we can offer cognitive assessments, perhaps in Vietnamese, perhaps in Vietnamese, not necessarily the, uh, you know, the English version of these MMSEs where, where folks won't understand, but, but these assessments need to be translated and, uh, and verified and validated uh, in Vietnamese so that we can take the next step for, for treatment. Both of you, well said. Thank you very much for that. I know that was a, it was a tough question to put you on the spot with, but I, I've, I think both had very important points. And so I, I want to thank you for being on our podcast, Dementia Matters, today, for the work that you're doing, the message that you're trying to get out. And I really hope 360 Clinic succeeds and you guys are able to continue to uh, do the good work that you're doing. Uh, and in the future, we hope to have you back on. All right. Thank you so much, Doctor. <laughs> Have a good one. Thanks Take so much. Care. Take care now. Thank you for listening to Dementia Matters. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts to be notified about upcoming episodes. You can also listen to our show by asking your smart speaker to play the Dementia Matters podcast. And please rate us on your favorite podcast app. It helps other people find our show and lets us know how we're doing. Dementia Matters is brought to you by the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. 
The Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center combines academic, clinical, and research expertise from the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and the Geriatric Research, Education, and Clinical Center of the William S. Middleton Memorial Veterans Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. It receives funding from private, university, state, and national sources, including a grant from the National Institutes of Health for Alzheimer's Disease Centers. This episode of Dementia Matters was produced by Rebecca Wazaleski and edited by Kaylin Rowerdink. Our musical jingle is Cases to Rest by Blue Dot Sessions. To learn more about the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center and Dementia Matters, check out our website at adrc.wisc.edu. That's adrc.wisc.edu. Follow us on Facebook at Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center and find us on Twitter at WisconsinADRC. If you have any questions or comments, email us at dementiamatters at medicine.wisc.edu. Thanks for listening.